0: Jeremy Phillips, writer, critic and caffeine victim and you are listening to Cinema Limpo Tonight's seminar rounds up the best and worst films of 2015 as seen by your humble narrator with Chris Arnsby assisting me in running the countdown So lean back with a glass of Bucks Fizz in your padded armchair as we round up the year in hits Hello Chris Hello Happy New Year uh,
1: Yes, <laughs> Happy New Year
0: Well, the movie year runs, as far as I'm concerned, from March to February.
1: Is that the Oscar cycle? Yeah, well,
0: sort of. And for a worryingly long time I've sort of worked out my own films of the year, loosely based around the awards calendar. Hmm. So that if a film's released in America first, it has to come out in the UK before the Oscars happen. Right. And if it's a British release, then it has to just be within the calendar year. So, more recently I've try to do this in a more coherent way purely to please myself Yeah. but now I've got a podcast and given this measure of power and control yeah. I'm going to spread my evil out into the world knock yourself out <laughs> um, uh, you told me that you have seen two films in the cinema this year yes and you saw half of Jupiter ascending on a plane yes and then I fell asleep oh it was the first half
1: uh, yes it was. I, I was I was on the plane back from Chicago I thought I'll watch Jupiter Ascending I saw enough of Jupiter Ascending to register that, that it was set in Chicago and then I fell asleep
0: What were the two that you saw in the cinema? Uh,
1: Mad Max Fury Road and Spectre
0: Interesting mm. because I put out a call on Twitter and Facebook for people to offer their suggestions of what they thought were the best and worst films of the year I had one response from Dominator Rago, who's actually a mutual friend of ours. Yes. His favourite film was Mad Max Fury Road, and his worst was Spectre.
1: I was going to say, if it, on a strict 50-50 basis, I'd have to agree with that.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I try to watch 52, 52 new releases a year. Good groove. Okay. Um, this, <laughs> this year, for the first time, I have been helped enormously by having a Netflix account. <laughs> yeah. So some of the ones I've watched have ended up making up the numbers a bit, rather than being deliberate choices. Right. So some of these movies I wouldn't have... Well, when I say some, it's really four or five. I wouldn't have chosen to watch. I wouldn't have gone out of my way to watch. But I thought, well, it's not that long. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I don't know if to get up early in the, work, no, the, work no, exactly. in the morning. I have a list of also Rams. So overall, I have a, a list of the ten best right. and the five worst. And we will go. Th- we we will go through them. Yes. And I will tell you what to think.
1: Yes. Yeah. I will just sit here and nod, which is very bad for an audio-only podcast.
0: Just make a just say a nodding noise <laughs> Okay. Um, but the the also rounds It's thirty-seven. That master degree paying off. Thirty-seven mm. other films that I've seen that uh, didn't wind up in either of them. Uh, Amy. Uh, oh, is that the, the Alien House documentary? Oh
1: no, I was thinking of the. I'm thinking of is there a film called Lucy about somebody that Scarlett Johansson gets superhero that's the has... one. Yeah, I was uh, wrong, woman. Sorry.
0: Yeah, uh, Ant Man, which I quite enjoyed. Atari, Game Over.
1: Oh, that's the one where they end up going into the desert to, to, dig, di- up. to dig up yeah, the, yeah, the, the ET, E-T from a stockpile of ET video
0: games. Avengers: Age of Ultron. It's on my to watch list. Back in time. Which is a documentary about Back to the Future fandom.
1: I actually want to see this one. This sounds like it could potentially be very good. That's
0: on Netflix and I found it quite enjoyable. Hmm. Beasts of No Nation.
1: Yeah, should see that.
0: A Netflix original. Bridge of Spies.
1: Nah, not too bothered. Carol. Doesn't ring any bells.
0: Oh, the Todd Haynes film with uh, Kate Ronchette and Rooney Mara.
1: Right, okay, yeah. Yeah, no. Uh,
0: Creep, which is again just to make up the numbers, it's a low-budget, partly found footage horror movie from the seemingly infinite producing stable of the Duplass brothers. (laughs) It's sort of fine. Hmm. It's got a couple of creepy bits in. It's found footage. What you're going to do? Actually, it works as it works in context as a a found footage movie, but it's not that good, Hmm. and it's not as good as the other horror movie called Creep which is about a monster in London Underground. Uh, Ex Machina. Didn't want to see that one. That's very good. Not quite good enough. Um, Fantastic Four.
1: Now. (laughs) I could almost be tempted to see this, just because, by all accounts, it was uh, some sort of rampaging disaster. This is the film that the director was rubbishing before it was released. Am I right? Yes.
0: um, We're slightly pressed for time, so I don't want to go into too much detail, but... It's clearly not doesn't work, mm. but the idea of doing a superhero movie and f- treating it as if it's a David Cronenberg horror movie, with, with, the, with these people developing these powers and treating that as body horror, I think it's a really great idea. Yeah. Doctor Doom, when he appears towards the end, is horrifying, and he is like a creature out of a nightmare. Wow. And I think that works really well. And yeah. Uh, we we were talking earlier about, uh, before we started recording, about Deadpool, Mm. uh, which uh, now studios want us to do. Oh, we have to do R-rated comic book movies now because that's what makes money. If Fantastic Four had been rated R and they had really been able to go to town on that and made Doctor Doom this terrifying Mm. creature, this warped, twisted individual, and really, amped up the horror of characters developing these weird powers, I think it would have been a really interesting movie. It might not have been a hit... Yeah. And given that that's what they wanted it to be, this would probably never have happened. But if they just had the confidence to make a good movie, rather than worry about making a successful one, mm. they wouldn't be looking at rebooting Fantastic Four again <laughs> and holding onto the rights away from Marvel out of sheer spite. Is that
1: what they? Dec- is, is this Sony by any chance?
0: No, it's 20th Century Fox. Fox because that's is, what
1: Sony are doing with Spider Man, isn't it? I no, but,
0: uh, no, Sony, came to, Sony uh, reached a deal with Marvel. Oh, and okay. uh, they're, kind, they're sort of sharing it in that they're rebooting Spider Man again, but they're not going to start from scratch. Oh, well, makes sense. They're not, they're, not, they're not starting with like, yeah. Origins again. But uh, the character can be in Marvel movies, but he will also have his own standalone Sony movies. Yeah. But it's going to be sh- um, part of the shared universe
1: which I think is a good sounds like a, quite a surprisingly good
0: idea yeah. yeah and the people are looking at saying well why do not they do this with the Fantastic Four then because I mean if Sony can say yeah this isn't working we'll think of something else hmm. rather than constantly just trying to say we're going to do this again until people like it yes and it's not working uh, force majeure yeah. Uh, Norwegian film about uh, a crisis in a family during a skiing holiday in France. Again, slightly to make up the numbers, yes. and also because I didn't see many foreign language movies this year. Um, Furious Seven. Oh no! I, I shotgunned <laughs> all six previous Fast and Furious movies in a fortnight. Two of them, the, the five and six, I actually quite enjoyed. As okay. Light-hearted Mission Impossible on steroids. I fell asleep during Furious Seven. <laughs> Um, it's really not very good, and the fact that it's it has a really po-faced tone and that one of the actors died in a car crash halfway through doesn't really help. Yeah, uh,
1: unfortunate.
0: Um, good Kill?
1: Heard of, but haven't seen
0: uh, Directed, Written directed by Andrew Nichol, uh, who wrote The Truman Show and who's sort of carved out a little career for himself in low-budget movies. It's uh, Ethan Hawke as the remote drone... A, a pilot of remote drones. OK, yeah. And the the burden on his psyche mm. of essentially committing murder by remote control. Interesting, but yeah. uh, not that great. Huh. Harmontown. Oh, what, well, the documentary? The documentary about Is it Dan Harmon.
1: Netflix only? Or? Uh,
0: it appears to have been released on Netflix in the UK. Yeah. Um, Dan Harmon, the American um, comedy writer and clearly <laughs> mentally ill man <laughs> yes. he has, a, he has a, very, a, a very successful and intermittently entertaining podcast mm. depending on who his guests are and how long he's able to speak went on tour and this is a documentary following the tour mm. it's, it's interesting because Harmon is clearly someone who needs a lot of professional help yeah. and yet his ego is getting in the way and since the documentary came out his marriage has collapsed yeah. The Hunger Games Joe Part 2
1: haven't seen, but again, uh, it's on my to-watch list. I liked
0: it. I thought it was a good conclusion the story. Joy, uh, David O. Russell's new film, almost entirely uh, blank and dull, but with a very good leading performance by Jennifer Lawrence.
1: Jupiter Ascending. As I say, sin part of it, and that was the film that that <laughs> what, what was what's Richard Terry's joke it was they were worried it was going to be so good they kept moving it around to give all the other films a chance. <laughs>
0: um, Yeah, it's a mess, Yeah, and it doesn't work. But Um, it looks brilliant. I mean, the bits
1: I saw actually looked fantastic. And it's
0: trying to create this whole... Mm. It's completely original science fantasy mythology from the ground up. Yeah. And I've got to give the Wachowskis um, marks for effort. Yeah. Particularly since the last thing they did was Cloud Atlas, which I thought was absolutely terrific, even though that was an adaptation. But this is from scratch. And I thought, well you tried
1: it looks like Eddie Redmayne doing the future sequence from Blackadder's Christmas Cowl at times
0: but Eddie Redmayne is not a very good actor <laughs> he's won
1: an Oscar yeah
0: for a really terrible film The Theory of Everything is a load of bollocks <laughs> leave that in okay. um, I didn't see the we've da- oh, already gone past where it would have been. I didn't see the Danish girl no. There were a few, I mean, just a. Nodding gesture. A few movies that I didn't bother with. Um, Shaun the Sheep, I, I, just, I just kept putting it off and I wound up not seeing it. I, I, that, I think that's probably quite fun. Yeah, I, 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 I will probably get to watch it at some point. Um, straight out of Compton, I felt that I should have seen and didn't because mm. it was just hard to sum up enthusiasm yeah. about a, sub, a movie about a subject I have no interest in. Would. And I know an you know, English white guy doesn't want to see a movie about black people. I know it doesn't sound great. But sorry, there's, there's
1: a whole category. There's a, I've got a whole category of films that I
0: sort of mentally class as worthy but dull, and that's that's it's straight probably, out of content. It's, it's probably good. It could be really good. I mean, the fact that it's had really good reviews and people make mm. a fuss out of it not being recognised, I think, well, maybe there's something in there. Maybe it actually is good. Mm. Train wreck. Let's <laughs> <laughs> listener. That was a, 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 an illustration of what a train wreck sounds like. Yeah. Again, I just couldn't work up the enthusiasm for it, even though I, I do quite admire Amy, Amy uh, Schumer. Uh, Lost Soul The Doomed Journey of Richard Stanley's Island of Dr. Moreau.
1: Oh, I really must say this. There used to be a film magazine called Neon. And one of the things they were constantly going on about was what a disaster area the uh, remake of The Island of Dr Moreau was. So I've kind of been fascinated by this film for a long time without actually seeing it, because reportedly it's meant to be terrible. And this is the film that's got Marlon Brando with an ice bucket on its head. Yeah. Yeah. But, I, yeah, I really must track down the documentary.
0: Uh, again, that's, that was a Netflix job. And it's, it's just a bunch of talking heads, really. Mm. But they're telling interesting stories. Nice. Um, the, the, the film is famously a complete disaster, yeah, yeah. and it was a, I mean, Richard Sain, the original director. It was his dream project. He was fired after a week. He cut, put a curse on the production. <laughs> Several actors were fired, rehired, and switched roles around. Was this
1: the film where somebody spiked the food with PCP at one point?
0: That was Titanic.
1: Was that Titanic? Man, you see, I can't even get my cinematic uh, uh, disaster films. Straight, uh, minions. I haven't seen it, but again, I think I will do because Despicable Me Two is very, very funny.
0: Uh, Mission Impossible: Rogue Nation
1: should see it because they, I really quite like. Yeah, yeah, they've they've kind of been plugging away and doing surprisingly good work in the background. Hmm. Yeah, Mr. Holmes. Oh, don't
0: care. Sorry. <laughs> it was, it's it's pretty good. It was a really interesting idea. I thought. Mm. Night will fall. Which was—it's kind of a cheat to put it on the list because it was shown. It had a kind of sort of cinema shown at the Imperial War Museum, right. but it actually ran on Channel Four. And it's a documentary about a documentary right. that was filmed in the liberated death camps. Wow. Okay. Um, so inevitably, it's a very hard watch mm. because you can't see footage of piles of corpses being bulldozed into mass graves, and. Not just feel terrible no, and want to cry, too. which I did. I actually think I think I did cry because it's yeah, it was, it was hard work. Uh, Pasolini mm. again, yeah. Uh, I won a copy of it on DVD. Google <laughs> Ferrara makes a film about the last day in the life of the Italian director Pier Paolo Pasolini, who um, his last film silo, was banned in the UK for being creepy and weird, and he was murdered apparently by a young boy whom he'd hired for nocturnal amusement oh and um, it stars um, Willem Defoe in the lead role and he's very good it's quite self-consciously arty and I yeah. think well if you care about Pasolini's work then this has probably mean a lot more to you um, the Peanuts movie. <laughs> <laughs> I haven't, I've seen Paddington, but I haven't seen the Peanuts oh, movie. Oh, Paddington was great. Yeah. I loved it. And the Peanuts movie I enjoyed more than I expected. It's, it felt very much keeping in, mm. in, in what I felt was the tone of the, of the comic strips. Yeah. Um, and not turning it into a, an annoying... Child-friendly musical. No,
1: and I think it deserves, it deserves some credit for that. it. Kind of seemed to go. Maybe it's because peanuts has never been that big a thing in the UK. But it kind of seemed to just. It
0: kind of came and went. Yeah, it didn't. It really didn't help that it came out three days after Star Wars.
1: Ah, okay, yeah, that's, that was just. Uh, I mean, it
0: should, they should have held it up and released it on Boxing Day hmm. because there were no big family movies coming out on Boxing Day this year. Did they actually call it Peanuts, or did they call it? Was, it, it was called. Snoopy and Charlie Brown The Peanuts movie Right for the for the UK release Yeah,
1: yeah
0: Predestination
1: I tell you that's not a, a, a prequel to the Final Destination film.
0: <laughs> no, this uh, had a very limited cinema release and basically went straight to DVD It's based on a short story by Robert Heinlein Okay called All You Zombies and listener, if you know the story then you know the whole movie because it expands it but doesn't actually change any of the plot ideas It's I don't want to say anything about it because I don't want to spoil it mm. but it has an absolutely fantastic lead performance by an Australian actress called Sarah Snook who was in a few other movies this year and based on this she is going to have an amazing career because she was playing a character that is almost unplayable Wow! but she makes it work Anything Hawks in that as well, because he's the patron saint of films that don't get proper releases. Mm. Uh, results? Sorry, that was a shrug for uh, people listening. Yeah, something else that was interesting, but then suddenly turned up on Netflix, about a rich guy, a newly rich guy, moved into a nice big empty house, divorced from his wife, who hires a personal trainer. And it's about the relationship between him and his personal trainer, and it, it touched on something that I've never seen looked at in films before, which is that having had a personal trainer myself in the past what? and if you've seen a photograph of me you wouldn't expect that to have happened because I'm quite overweight there is that kind of odd dynamic between a trainer and her client right. that he's paying her and yet she is constantly bossing him around and there, that, yeah. that, that closeness and that odd power dynamic is very interesting and it was a, a very clever humane effective mm. film Guy Pierce plays the, run, the guy who runs the gym, and Kobe Smulders of How I Met Your Mother and the Marvel Cinematic Universe plays the trainer. She's very good. The Revenant.
1: I didn't see it. I, I got invited to the cinema to see it, but I d- didn't really appeal. And the person that went to see it then came back later and announced that they'd found it harrowing. And I'm not sure I want to go to the cinema to be harrowed. <laughs>
0: it's um it's it's a movie about the struggle between man and bear <laughs> it's not <laughs> a movie really,
1: about the struggle between man and oscar nomination
0: well yeah i mean it's the most cynical give me an oscar role mm. i've never seen anyone play and the fact that he's all oh, leonardo dicaprio is you know he's really cold and he grew a beard and he ate some liver yes. and he slept in a horse i thought well why not just try acting
1: yeah no this is what i i have a Real problem, usually somebody will go off and do a boxing movie or something and they'll get a few drooling articles in Empire about the amazing physical transition they've done. I refuse to be impressed by actors that have put on a bit of weight or have had to sit in a damp field for a couple of hours. It's your job. Go, you know, go off and do it and don't expect us to be impressed because you've got piles sitting on a stone waiting for the lighting to be finished.
0: It's... And I'm really fed up with... Um... Alejandro Iñárritu because all his films are terrible (laughs) I hated Birdman I thought it was smug, pretentious self-satisfied garbage he's never made a good movie The Revenant is beautifully photographed Mm. and it's completely empty it's about nothing, it's crap
1: do you think he'll win an Oscar?
0: yeah I think he probably will he shouldn't (laughs) I mean he's done other good stuff but not for this anything but this Sisters.
1: Yeah, sorry.
0: Amy Poehler and Tina Fey. Oh, uh, a yeah. surprisingly... Um, I wasn't expecting it to be quite as... Do you even ask the wrong word? But raunchies is not a well, word that's used by Graham. I think so. I mean, it's, 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 just... it's quite racy and quite... Yeah. I, I wasn't surprised by how far it went. Maybe it's because... I mean, it's a movie made... Uh, the kind of... Content of that comedy I associate far more with films that are made by and for male audiences. This is a movie made by women mm. that say, no, we can do this too. And also, they do it a lot better yeah. because it's a movie that's actually funny and likeable and with great characters. Uh, Snowpiercer, again, it's another cheat because it hasn't been released in the UK at all. No, I know,
1: I, it's, that's one I would like to track down um, it's not that
0: good oh, it story. turns out to be quite it, uh, it's, it's the future there's an ice age, there's a train that's going all the way around the world the rich people live in the front, the poor people live at the back the poor mm. people decide to fight their way to the front and that's kind of
1: it yeah, it's a, it's quite, there was something about the concept that that just kind of caught
0: it's high rise on its side right, ok and um, listener, I'm really looking forward to high rise Mm. Um, because I think J.G. Ballard was a genius, and Ben Wheatley is probably the best new British director since Christopher Nolan. And the idea of the two working together is. It's like that time that Neil Hannon wrote a song for Doctor Who. It's like, <laughs> hey, two things I love together at last. Uh, Spectre.
1: Mm, yeah, we could have a whole separate po- uh, podcast yeah. about Spectre. I was very disappointed by Spectre. I didn't get the love for Skyfall. Um, I still think that the best Daniel Craig James Bond film has been Casino Royale, and it's kind of been downhill since then. He's he's the Peter Capaldi of James Bond. He's very, very good in himself, but I don't think he's been rewarded by the material he's been given to
0: work with. Um, I felt that Spectre was a greatest hits compilation of things that people like about James Bond, mm. with no actual substance or weight to
1: them. You see, I remember the bit in Mexico at the start and I remember the bit where Bond infiltrates the meeting and... The Council of Evil. Yeah, and Christoph Waltz suddenly looks at him and goes, cuckoo? Is that what he says?
0: Yeah, it's his favourite BBC3 show.
1: And it's... <laughs> it's a really eerie moment but that's kind of... That's it
0: yeah, for the film. Yeah, there, there, are, there are some sequences that are really effective yeah. and that, that whole... Um, sequence with that, with that meeting mm. with um, Christopher Hunter's character just in silhouette for most of it
1: and the people rushing f- to move the microphone around yeah and he things, just yeah. sort
0: of inclines his head slightly and someone comes forward and listens to him and they move his microphone very slightly because that was his yeah. order. Works worked so well but it, wasn't not ha- it not, has no substance to it no. I don't want to give away spoilers for what happens later on in the film but all the twists and turns that turn up later on are really badly thought out and don't make any sense in, the, in and of the story and it's it just feels like this is like a megamix. Yeah, It's but, like now that's what I call Bond. But not not even
1: in a, a mega mix in a good way because there was a point towards the end where he's infiltrated the Spectre base and I kind of thought it was going to turn into a bit of a Roger Moore pastiche and it would be... James Bond running down lots of stainless steel corridors, having gunfights, and possibly moving towards a confrontation with the band. And it never—I came out of the film, and I just remember thinking, "I really want to watch Live and Let Die." Why no, <laughs> were
0: so, you saying that to me yeah, at the time?
1: So I, so I came home, bought Live and Let Die and blue ray, and watched that, and enjoyed it a lot more.
0: In contrast, Spy. Uh,
1: no, don't I don't even, even recognise the title. For uh, that.
0: Melissa McCarthy, espionage comedy. No, possibly, uh, From the probably. makers of the upcoming Ghostbusters reboot. Oh, would um, Jason Statham proves to the world, what I have known for years, that he is a great undiscovered comic talent. Oh, actually,
1: I've, yes, I remember, do remember hearing about this one now, yeah.
0: It's, again, knock about fun. It's not trying to be deep or anything yeah. like that. Um, but yeah, Jason Statham's just great at it. I've always known hmm. that he was... It was always with a little wink that he was doing all those terrible action movies, and here... He really does get to go all out, and he's fantastic. I'd love, I'd love him in that. Star Wars: The Force Awakens. I mean, I'm. we got to keep this short. <laughs> I haven't seen it. <laughs> oh no, you haven't. Of course, no, not. Um, I'm.
1: No, I'm. I, I'm the person in the UK that hasn't seen it. However, I've subsequently discovered that the Science Museum is showing it in 70 millimeter IMAX. Ooh. So I'm going to go and see it tomorrow.
0: Oh, good <laughs> for you. Um, for this, for the sake of spoilers, because um, some people don't, don't want to know anything before they see it. I liked it.
1: Okay, that's good to know. Um,
0: Terminator Genesis.
1: Oh, I saw that on the plane going out to Chicago. Um, And I didn't blink, so I saw Matt Smith's cameo.
0: (laughs) (laughs) I liked it. I think it's the best of the post-James Cameron Terminator movies. Um, I know there were complaints about the plot being too complicated and too time-travelly. I really didn't have a problem with it. It didn't bother me at all. I thought it was a good, solid story. I liked the way it sort of remixed... Elements of the yeah. unlike uh, elements of movies, elements of the Terminator movies, unlike Spectre, it was doing that, but it had a degree of weight because it it gave the characters a solid background to work on, and we got a real feeling of stakes. I'm
1: hmm. I'm struggling to remember anything about it. I know it sounds... I, know, all night, I maybe I didn't watch it under the best of circumstances. It was fine. It held my attention. It was better than. The last one, the Terminator one set,
0: Salvation. Salvation, Which is yeah, dismal.
1: Um, it was, yeah, it was. I think you're right. It was certainly better than three, although three does have a terrific ending. I think we've discussed I, this before. I see, yeah,
0: that, that it's it's mostly like a TV movie remake of Terminator mm. 2, but it has that amazing ending that almost saves the whole film. Yeah. Um, the town that dreaded sundown. It's actually the remake of the town that dreaded sundown.
1: I think I'm getting it mixed up with a film about vampires called 30 Days of Night
0: uh, yeah it sounds like a vampire movie it's, it's weird the original film is loosely based on a true story a slash a, uniquely a slasher movie that actually happened um, the so called phantom killer who terrorised the town of Texarkana on the mm. uh, Texas Arkansas border in 1945 I think and this sequel slash remake slash reimagining uh, it's set in the present day, and involves people apparently imitating oh, really? events of the movie. And it acknowledges the original movie mm. happened, and that it's shown every year. And it's 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 interesting in a conceptual way because you can't have any other slash movie doing that because mm. it's rooted in a, a genuine story.
1: Yeah.
0: Um, but it doesn't quite work, and the resolution—the I mean, great resolution of the original movie—is nothing because oh, right. they never found out who he was really oh. he just stopped killing people right and, they, and, and it's never been solved mm. uh, I think they sort of know who it was it's like, like the Zodiac right. they sort of know who it was but they can't actually prove it Yeah, and, they, and the person question is dead anyway but the original mo- I saw bits of the original movie and someone being killed with a trombone I think was the best bit oh nasty uh, as, it was des- as it was described in um, a review in sight and sound uh, someone's tied to a tree and the killer uh, tapes a knife to a trombone so, that the, so it's on the slide and then he wah-wah-wahs the victim to death. Wow. And they, and they recreate that in the remake. And I was thinking, is this, is this supposed to be scary? Mm. Or funny? Or what? Because it didn't happen in real life. So someone thought this was a good idea to put in a film and thought, it doesn't, this is... What are you doing? Mm. <laughs> and finally, what we do in the shadows. Which I have seen, and I thought was terrific. I liked it. Yeah. Um, I, I thought it might uh, struggle against being human. Yeah. The BBC Three comedy about vampire ghosts in the world sharing a house. But it's four, four, four or five vampires living four, in a house. I think, right. yes. And
1: one of them is a proper sort of Nosferatu. So it's three main characters. And is it Peter, the Nosferatu? Nosferatu, the one who
0: lives in a, <laughs> in a stone sarcophagus in the cellar, living in a house in present-day Wellington hmm. in New Zealand and it's from the people who made Flight of the Conchords and the director is actually now his next job is um, the, the next four movie oh, okay. for Marvel and he's deliberately been picked because of this sort of offbeat comic fantasy sensibility um,
1: I understand they're doing a sequel about the werewolves
0: now I hadn't heard that
1: oh, okay I think I read something about that so yeah
0: oh because the, the like, werewolves are the supporting characters yes. and they're, they're, they're trying to keep their, their rage under control so they say we're werewolves not swearwolves and Rhys Darby's in it yeah. and I have never seen Flight of the Concords, but Rhys Darby I think is great in everything so number 10 of the my films of the year Creed I haven't
1: I haven't seen but it's been word of mouth has been very good it As is, I believe it, the phrase it's
0: it's so strange that a franchise that's run this long mm. and has attracted such derision should suddenly get its act together with the last two movies because Rocky Valboa was very good and Creed is also very very good because it 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 just doesn't feel cliched it Mm. feels very genuine and sincere and Sylvester Stallone giving up control over the this it's the first that he hasn't written oh okay and he's directed all but the original and Rocky V it's written directed by a new team he takes a step back and lets Michael B. Jordan take the spotlight it's a very well-made mm. film. And it fo- it feels like it follows the traditional beats of the of this kind of sport movie or boxing movie. But it just has that weight to it so it feels like it matters. Yeah. And it's brilliantly directed. Uh, Ryan Coogler, uh, only a second film. The previous one was Fruitvale Station. And again, he is also doing a Marvel movie. He's doing Black Panther.
1: OK, interesting.
0: But he, I was... In retrospect, I'm very surprised he wasn't Oscar-nominated for it. Mm. Although he's black, so I probably shouldn't be that surprised. But he is a very, very talented director. And there is one boxing match that is performed entirely in one take.
1: Okay. Is it actually done in one? Is it? It's actually two, a it's genuine single a proper single shot. Yeah. Oh, great. Okay, that's an issue.
0: First of the uh, bottom five, I haven't actually ranked these yet. I have a list here, so let's say at number five, Jurassic World which I haven't seen but it's I
1: dreadful waxed hot and cold over it because for ages my response was why do you, you know, Steven Spielberg made dinosaurs boring in Jurassic Parks 2 and 3, <laughs> why do you want to go back but then there was that throwaway comment that I believe it was one of the writers made that they said they started with the idea of all these amazing dinosaurs in the back of the shot and the kid in the front looking at his mobile phone and something about that idea of kids growing up in a world with dinosaurs and being bored of them I thought that was a terrific idea, and it kind of caught my
0: imagination. But then... But the film does almost nothing with that concept, and it winds up just being a dull retread of the first movie with none of the character development. Bryce Dallas Howard's character is so insultingly written as a screaming down... Basically a screaming down the distress. Oh, she's not very maternal, which is the worst thing a woman can be. Oh, of course, yeah. yeah. And the whole thing about um, she keeps her high heel shoes on all the way through the film, which uh, a lot of people pointed out at the time, and it's completely idiotic. It's just so stupid. Mm. I was really disappointed by it, and I mean, the, when I went out, when I left the cinema, I thought, well, it's okay, but it's it's the best of the Jurassic Park sequels. So that's only because the Lost World Jurassic Park three are rubbish. But the more I think about it, I thought, well, they were rubbish, but. They weren't as offensively poor as trying just to retread the first film and doing it badly. The fact that it was such a giant hit I thought was really depressing Mm. because, oh, people are just going to see the dinosaurs.
1: Yes, but it kind of catches into... we're, We're now at the point in the nostalgia cycle where the stuff that we remember... Is you know when we were when we were when I was a bit younger, you know the films that you were presented was the stuff that was for your parents, and they would go, "Oh, we used to watch this," and mm-hmm. then they'd drag you along to the cinema. We're now at the point in the cycle where we are being presented with the stuff that we used to remember, and we're meant to be dragging our kids along to see. Um, to see these remade films, you know, The A Team and stuff like that, although that's not less, considerably less resold.
0: Well, that's the first one that pops into your head?
1: <laughs> yeah, sorry, The A Team of Jurassic Park. I'm sure there have been others. I mean,
0: actually, The A Team film I thought was quite good fun. Yeah. Um, but Jurassic World, yeah. dismal. dismal. Chris Pratt's good, but he's no Bob Peck. <laughs> There'll never be another actor as great as Bob Peck. Listener, you probably don't even have a clue who he is. He was the... He's, big, Muldoon, in he's Muldoon He's Jurassic He's the big game hunter who says, clever girl. Yes. But he was in one of the greatest television programmes of all time, which was Edge of Darkness, mm. which I have made people watch. No, don't and blame you. And in that he delivers, I think, possibly the greatest screen performance I've ever seen. Mm. Um, uh, died tragically young. Yes, well, he did. Well, I say, well, not young, he was about 50-something. But young, uh, long before his time.
1: Yeah, definitely.
0: But yeah, I mean, Chris Pratt is very likeable yes. in everything. But he's got, he's got nothing to do with. He's got nothing. He has nothing There's nothing for him to do yeah. as a character.
1: I mean, um, I am used it's, to it's him being in Parks and Rec, uh, and I still have trouble getting around the idea of him being an action hero because I'm so used to the way his character is in Parks and Recreation.
0: Well, I think Guardians of the Galaxy straddles that nicely, mm. whereas his character is still a bit of a goofball, but in a more action adventure setting, and he's also part of an ensemble. Whereas in Jurassic World, he's supposed to be the smart-mouthed, charming action hero lead. And it doesn't really fit. Yeah. He's, he's good at doing comedy action and comedy adventure. And I'm sure just I'm, I'm mm. plain comedy, because yeah, part yeah. of is hilarious. Maybe we'll see him do something that... I mean, actually, funnily enough, he was in uh, Zero Dark Thirty. Really? Which I didn't like, because the, the politics of it are really weird. Yeah. Um, but it's, it's quite a small role, and I don't recognise him. No. So he's done, he's done sort of proper straight acting, but not on a lead role. Anyway, number nine, The Big Short. That's uh, one that
1: has just come out. Isn't yes. it? Is this one that people are complaining about the inserts, where it, people talk to Camu about yes. aspects of finance?
0: It's, um, it's about the, the lead up to the financial mm. crash in 2007, 2008, and how people who were able to predict it bet against the market and became extremely rich. Yeah, yeah. And there are sequences where complicated financial concepts are explained directly to the audience in cutaway scenes. Margot Robbie, who funnily enough was in The Wolf of Wall Street, explains what subprime mortgages are and how they affect mortgage bonds as a whole uh, sitting in a bubble bath. Hmm. Because, as the joke is, you need, to, you need to know this to understand the story, but it's really dry and boring so we'll make sure you're paying attention by having it explained by a beautiful blonde woman who's probably naked
1: yeah.
0: now obviously I was already paying attention but it's it's a good way of short circuiting yeah. exposition by just literally having people tell the camera and then all the way through there's people actually talking to the camera saying well this didn't actually happen like this but you know yeah. we're telling a story and it's easier and we're not really lying it's a very it's, I mean I'm terrified of money. I actually find the idea of dealing with large amounts of money, anything more than about 50 quid, oh. frightens me. So having to deal with my work pension, things like that, yeah. uh, scares the life out of me. So I found this film, it's funny in places, I also find it quite depressing hmm. and alarming, particularly the notion that another crash, possibly a worse one, could be just around the corner. Yes. But it's a film that had to be made and it's very cleverly thought out in how this needs to be told and to be accessible to as many people as possible
1: yeah, makes sense
0: number eight
1: Inside Out meant to see it this is, this is the Pixar one of course isn't yes. it? yes yeah, yeah, yeah. just checking that there wasn't, a, wasn't getting it mixed up with something else it's meant to be very good um, it's on my to-watch list it is
0: very good it's, it made me think of it being like a child-friendly or a CBB's version of Inception because it's taking really complicated, esoteric ideas but presenting them in a visual way as part of a relatively traditional storyline because it still, like, it still follows the Pixar model of the buddy comedy, mm. but doing it in a way that is very easy to grasp for a, a regular audience particularly small children, it's so... It's endlessly inventive. It's so brilliant in... just dramatising these these very complicated ideas, like the the emotional maturing of a teenage girl, and dramatising it with entirely theoretical... Well, not theoretical, abstract concepts, and making it funny, and making it make narrative sense... And have it work on literally two different levels, with the inside and the outside of her mind. Mm. It's astonishing that anyone should even try this, that anyone at Pixar was able to persuade Disney to say, oh, yeah, this is clearly going to work. Mm. And it's a a brilliant film. So you should watch it. Yeah, definitely. Do you have nieces and nephews? I do, yes. Then this is the perfect film to make them watch with you. Uh, Time for another bottom (laughs) five... It's getting a bit tricky now, actually. (laughs) Um, Let's say the remake of Poltergeist. Now, again, this is another one that I watched to make up the numbers. I was surprised by how bad it was. I've I've said many times on the podcast before that the world's worst director is Toby Hooper, (laughs) um, who directed the original Poltergeist. Mostly. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Under supervision from Steven Spielberg. Um, I don't think the original is any good. I think it's a really unscary very generic haunted house film
1: yeah I've got a residual fondness for it because I saw it when I was like 12 or 13 and I thought it was the most amazing thing I've not seen anything like it at the time
0: at that age I can imagine it would probably have quite a big impact and it was aimed more at a family audience which nowadays seems completely bizarre because there's scenes of it's rising oh, from mud.
1: There's a horrific sequence in the downstairs toilet which sort of turns into a microwave, and the guy starts to poke at his face yeah, and, his, and his face, his face is. Face yeah, off. yeah.
0: Um, Fun for the family. Um, yeah, I mean, it's almost like the bit where the guy gets his eye torn out because of the matches in time. <laughs> um, but the remake is. it just feels lazy. Mm. I mean, it's, it's a film that exists purely for monetary reasons. Yes, yeah. And purely to cash in on the name, on the Poltergeist name, because the original film had two sequels. It's quite badly directed. It's really oddly cast. Sam Rockwell is the the the, the father yeah. in the family, and he really doesn't seem comfortable in that character. There are some attempts to update it with the idea that they've bought this house uh, quite cheaply, and um, the husband is out of work, but he's still spending money like water. And that's sort of this odd financial subplot, which well, kind of just is. sort of goes away. Um, Jared Harris is in it as a, a TV psychic, and the whole of this house is clean. That becomes a ca- that, that's his catchphrase right. on his TV oh, show. Okay. But, uh, do better. I mean, yeah. it's not you're, you're remaking a bad film, and you're still doing it badly. Yeah. But for a selection of other reasons. Mm. It's, it's not really fair for me to put this in the bottom five because I never really intended to see it. But it's so crap. Yeah. I feel the need to tell people and that hopefully we can bring to the, an end this tyranny of popular horror movies. Because the original was a very popular film. Mm. Being remade badly yeah. for cash and not for any logical artistic yeah. With The Town That Dreaded Sundown, because of because of mm. the, the situation of the story, you had to do a different tone, or it was just going to be a flat remake. So it, they go for something different, and they come up with a, a different idea for it. With here, it's just the same again, badly boring.
1: What was the rating of the remake of Poltergeist? Was it um, a fifteen?
0: I imagine it was probably a 58. fifteen. I saw it on Netflix, so I've really liked it. This
1: heard. is the the problem I and, and the the same kind of problem I had with RoboCop and things like that is is. and and maybe this is something that that Deadpool will reverse who knows but it is this thing of of films being remade and it's the softening of them that I object to more than anything because let's keep making films for adults
0: yeah, horror movies for adults because horror movies aren't aimed at children
1: (laughs) unless they're they're being done by Joe Dante
0: well no, if you I mean you can do it I mean you can aim a horror movie at a younger audience if you're calibrating in a certain way and no. the story has to reflect that it can't just be a sanitised version of no. something that would be intended for an older audience no
1: that's right and that was a, they did a very weird um, TV version of Robocop at one point and I struggled to see but well, he doesn't shoot anybody I know and you think well, uh, I, I, what's the point of that apart from the fact that somebody uh, money and I know it, I, I, I've just answered my question what's the point of that money
0: yeah well, there was there was a TV there was a RoboCop TV series which I think I saw a couple of episodes of and looked rubbish. There was also um, a mini series of TV movies called RoboCop Prime Directives, and apparently those are very good. Okay. But w- within the concessions of well, he can't shoot people all the time, mm. and we can't have you know blood and guts everywhere, and we can't have lots of swearing. What can we do? So they I think they ramp up the, the levels of satire right. and that kind of thing. So well, what can we do within this world? That, that we'd be allowed to do Hmm. and that's how I think you can make that work yeah yeah Um, back to the list of things that aren't terrible Uh, number seven is Room
1: yeah again a film I've heard good things about but probably not a film I'd go and see anyway just because it sounds a bit grim
0: It's, it's not nearly as grim as you might think I actually read the book last year it was last year yeah it year was
1: before. doing the it was doing the rounds of lots of reading groups at one point yeah of it was
0: in my book group and I was a, I mean the, I think the author said that she wasn't directly inspired by cases such as Joseph Fritzl's victims and Natasha Kampusch it's weird how it all seems to be in Austria isn't it who had been held prisoner for years but it's it's a, again, it's a very compassionate take on this material. It could have been horribly exploitive, and I think I got into a discussion with someone online about how whether or not it was exploited because no. I really didn't think it was. The You're encouraged straight from the start to empathise with the woman who's been held captive and the son that she has given birth to, that is the son of her captor and rapist. Yeah. And not to think of them as victims, but they are... Fighting on, on, a, on an emotional level, on, a, on, a, on an intellectual level, and even on a physical level, fighting for their own freedom. And the film takes a, a big shift halfway through, and it, it shows their story in a, in a very different context. That their struggle to simply. Um, so, this is the problem of not, not having any notes, um, <laughs> to take control of their own circumstances. Well, yeah. It's, it's beautifully acted. Brie Larson is the hot tip to win Best Actress. And it's thoroughly deserved. Okay. Um, Joseph, uh, Joseph... Jacob Tremblay, who plays her young son, and who I believe was eight when the film was made, is terrific. And he's already, I think, been tipped for quite a few <clears throat> major roles. Um, it's a really, really good film. Yeah, OK. Number six is The Lobster.
1: Yeah, I like the idea of this one.
0: <laughs> An alternate world where if you're single, you have to go away to a hotel and you have to meet a partner there. And if you don't meet a partner within 45 days, you'll be turned into an animal. And newly divorced Colin Farrell, who goes there with his brother, who is now a dog, (laughs) has decided that he wants to be a lobster. And it's this very darkly funny satire about modern relationships and modern human interaction. The, the director is Yorgos Lanthimos who is Greek and it's his first English language film uh, his previous film Dogtooth, I saw last year which has a similar idea about absurdist mm. captivity of uh, again it's about people who people have been held captive within the home um, children have been there their whole lives and their father for no apparent reason has never let them outside the family home and it has that same level of this very straight faced weirdness in mean, d- a lot of places the lobster is very funny but yeah. it's very, very, very serious in its presentation. And it's very, very deadpan. And some of it is very, very dark. The whole. They never go into the detail of how the transformations work. <laughs> but. And so people sort of resign themselves to it. So they think, well, maybe it's not that bad. But the inference is, it actually is.
1: When you say his brother's a dog. It's a dog. It's just a dog.
0: Yeah. Yeah. This. Yeah. This is my brother, and it's a. It's a collie.
1: Okay. Yeah, I think this is definitely one that's going on the to watch list.
0: Um, oh yes, it's time for another turkey. Is this right? I'm trying to alternate. Yes, these yeah, to yeah. It Properly.
1: Two good, one bad.
0: So down to down to the last three. I think I'll save that one. <laughs> oh, that one's definitely number one, which means that third from bottom is Mordecai <laughs> oh. Now that did turn up on Netflix. I hadn't planned to see it, anyways, but I thought. Well, I've heard this is awful. I should find out for myself. Because maybe it's great. Maybe it's another Freddy Got Fingered. Or I Heart Huckabees. Hmm. It's Isn't not. It? <laughs> <laughs> it's... Um, well, a friend of ours um, had actually read the books that it's yes, that's yeah. based, that's based on. And apparently it's Jeeves and Worcester with more sex and violence, but not compromising the comic tone. But the movie is Johnny Depp at his most Johnny Depp.
1: Isn't he doing the accent of, like, the Fifth Lord of Wimborne from The Fast Job or something? It's a,
0: yeah, it's a cross between that and Terry Thomas. And there's, uh, it's, it's about an art heist or something, and Johnny Depp is absolutely insufferable. <laughs> He's got this horrible moustache that is he constantly goes on about, and his wife can't kiss him without wanting to retch and his bodyguard is played by Paul Bettany, who's the only person who walks away from this with any dignity. Did you
1: make it through so to the end? Oh, yeah, watched the whole thing.
0: All these films I've watched all the way through. Right, OK. Because otherwise it's cheating. Yeah. And the film is so flamboyantly unfunny and so miscast. Uh, Ewan McGregor's in it, and he looks like he hates himself for being in this film. It's so unfunny and so... It's, it's made by... I mean, it's, a, it's an American-made film. The author has a Greek name, but apparently it sort of captures a certain skein of Englishness. This is made by people who are anglophiles, but they have a completely tin ear for the right tone or the right mode of speech. There's a bit in the film where someone describes Johnny Depp's character as a refugee... From a home for drunken, retired music hall artists. And I thought, that's not Johnny Depp's character, that's Johnny Depp. <laughs> because um, if I see one more film where he is wearing a fing wig, I am going to lose it.
1: I'm so far into the wig.
0: The exception would be the film that's just gone online where he plays Donald Trump. <laughs> yes, yeah. Because, I mean,. that's not real hair in real life
1: if you set fire to that wig it's going to go up like the Hindenburg oh
0: yeah but Mordecai is it's just dismal
1: (sighs) in happier news
0: (laughs) in happier news number five of goodness goodness me it's The Martian I'm surprised you haven't seen that because you love space and all that kind of stuff
1: yeah I I kind of missed my chance with that um (sighs) I had a cold, I think. Oh. It, yeah, it was literally, it was just, it was kind of that sort of stupid down-to-earth mundane reason. I just didn't feel very well, so I didn't go to see it. I do plan to catch up on it. I've read the book. The book is really good fun. Um,
0: I haven't read the book, but I, it was recommended to me by someone who doesn't really like science fiction. Right. So when the film came out, I thought, well, I was watching the film then. It's really good. Yeah. I was really surprised. I mean, the funny thing is... I was really surprised by the tone of it. It's about a man marooned mm. on, a, on an alien planet, effectively, who has to make—he has to grow food in soil that is completely barren. Mm. He has to get water on a planet where there is no water. He has to signal for help from home, even though it's going to take years to get there. Yeah. Yet the film has been repeatedly referred to as a comedy, yeah. and it really bears up to that kind of scrutiny because it never lets itself become grim or downbeat or despairing because this character Mark Watney realises if I let myself get depressed it's a downward spiral which is going to end badly I am going to fight Mars, I'm going to win and he is assisted by the only album of music that the other astronauts left behind which is a disco mega mix the only entertainment apart from that which is the complete series of Happy Days uh, he grows potatoes so every meal is chips yeah. and it, it maintains this tone of this upbeat I am not going to let Mars get away with this it's
1: in a, in a funny sort of way because it's a film about professionals being professional and doing their job and you know his, his job is being an, being an astronaut and keeping himself alive it's like Rendezvous with Rama by Othsy Clark I've not read that it's just, not read it's not, the, 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 in some ways they, 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 the, the, the subject matter couldn't be more different but just in that sense that it's just about I'm a professional this is my job, now I'm going to get on with it that, that's where they're, they're both similar in time in that kind of sense
0: and the main story is of course intercut with what's going on on earth mm. and again the, the tone is so finely balanced of there, there's humour but in a serious situation, and it feels much more real yeah. because they wouldn't all be serious all the time. They would leaven this with humor. Oh, oh, he's alive. Well, what are we going to tell the press? I mean, yeah.
1: That was one of the things I liked about the book was that it did sit, it did at least step back and think about what the reaction on Earth was going to be. Mm. Um, I think it scales up in the end. It kind of becomes a more positive Apollo thirteen, doesn't it? Because yes. um,
0: everybody is the watching whole, the this whole, interstellar the whole world teaming up to rescue yeah. Matt Damon it's kind of the, the ap- apotheosis of Matt Damon's career he's always getting <laughs> rescued you know, the whole world is, jo- yeah. is joining forces it's so odd for Ridley Scott to have made this film mm. because he's I mean he's done comedy before with um, Stick Men and A Good Year and A Good Year I haven't seen because it's Russell Crowe and Russell Crowe can't do comedy <laughs> and um, Stick Men isn't particularly good but here he really gets the tone
1: nice.
0: um, the script by Drew Goddard is terrific Matt Damon is superb. It's such a well-made movie, yeah. and it, it knows what it is. It knows what it wants to be, and it gets it. Yeah. And the fact that it was a huge hit as well, I was very satisfying because it, it is its own thing. It doesn't let itself be compromised. Mm. Andy Weir, who wrote the book, loved it. Yeah. Oh, another time for another good one. Thank goodness yes. for that. I get to stay in the uh, get to stay in the light a bit longer. Speaking of which. <laughs> speaking, speaking of which in a fun happy-go-lucky tone Spotlight a film about newspaper, newspaper oh, okay. reporters investigating child molesters a really terrific well-written script that boils down a horribly complicated sequence of events into a very absorbable scale not really a director's movie. I was surprised that um, Tom McCarthy was Oscar nominated for best director over Ryan Coogler or Ridley Scott. It's an actors' movie and a writers' movie, hmm. but it's very, very, very well made. It, I mean, it's been compared to a modern all the All the President's Men.
1: But sometimes, I mean, sometimes being a good director is about knowing when to st- is knowing. Actually, I'm not going to put a ten minute one. Uh, take sequence in here I'm just going to let the material show through so maybe it it is possible that he's being rewarded for the fact that he allows the story to come through as opposed to just showing what an amazing director he is
0: Well he's never been particularly showy Mm. as a director he he does seem to be more interested in just letting the actors tell the story Um, which is what a good director should do it's, it's a lot of it's delegation but it's such a It it could have been completely indigestible, and the fact that it's dealing with such a horrible Mm. subject, you know, institutionalised child molestation by the Catholic Church. Yeah. I mean, uh, at the end of the movie, there's kind of the the inevitable. Where are they now? um, Caption, and it says following the events, the um, uh, paedophile priests in the following location were uncovered and investigated and then there are three screens worth of of towns the first one is America and the last two are the rest of the world and there was an audible gasp from the audience at the scale of what had happened that has still not been satisfactorily addressed Mm. as far as I'm concerned but it's a very very good film it could have been really hard work yeah but it, it turns out that it's actually a lot easier to watch than The Revenant of all things. <laughs> now, was that number four? That was number
1: four. Number four, OK, I'm just keeping track of this. Okay. So
0: it's time for another trip down Shithouse Street. Number two is been highly acclaimed, nominated for a number of awards, stars, an Oscar nom- stars several Oscar nominees, and it's based on a best-selling book. It's the most... Inane, melodramatic, Sunday afternoon on Channel 5 rubbish I've seen since The Theory of Everything. It's Brooklyn. Ah, okay. Possibly the most pointless film I've seen this year because it's a film that's so... it's, It's just this melodramatic story about a girl from a small town who goes to the big town yep. to earn a, get a decent job and look after her family and she falls in love with someone there and that's nice but there's a, someone at home who is secretly in love with her as well but he's actually not very interesting and so she stays in the big town and that's the whole plot of the film right. and there's nothing else to it Julie Walters as the owner of the boarding house where she lives in New York is delivering the Julie Walters performance and she's doing Mrs Oval again is she? Well, no, it's more that she's, she settled on a performance after about um, Billy Elliot, and now she does that kind of yeah, sort yeah. of character in everything. Yes. And it's really boring. And she keeps getting praised for it. And I think, well, she is, like, a, she is a good actress. She's done really great work, and she keeps doing great work, but just not in the films that she's getting recognised really <laughs> for because she's just doing the same thing over yeah. and over again. Saoirse so Ronan is so far beyond this level of material that her agent should get sacked because she keeps making terrible films she was in Atonement which was rubbish um, she was in The Host which is from the author of Twilight so I'm not even going to dignify it with my time <laughs> um, she's just signed up to be in an adaptation of On Chesil Beach the Ian McEwan book yeah. which I've heard is absolutely terrible she really needs to be in something that's not rubbish because she's a really great actress and she's the only point of interest in this whole movie. It's a... I mean... I mean, my mother likes to sometimes quite nice sedate yeah. films and nothing that's too stressful to watch. Yeah. And she would find this patronising. It's drivel. Number three... In the good fun, fun town, Steve Jobs. Okay, Danny Boyle is an incredibly talented filmmaker. Uh, even though he occasionally makes a film that's complete rubbish, like *Trance*, um, he will then bounce back and do something like *Steve Jobs*, which is it benefits massively from Aaron Sorkin's script, and the ha, boiling down. the the biography that it's based on into the three discrete blocks Mm. of being set in roughly real time before three product launches in 1984, 88 and 98. So immediately it has this very simple, solid structure. But we really get into the head of Steve Jobs. And it was a very interesting portrait of someone who really wasn't a particularly nice person and it explodes a lot of the myths about him. It explodes no. this personality cult. I'm not a, I'm not an Apple fan at all. I, I, I always feel like I have to, in the spirit of um, full disclosure, <laughs> I have to say I don't like Apple, and I'm not that keen on Steve Jobs. But the film does say, well, he wasn't a great person, but he was an important person, and here's why. Mm and it's not necessarily the products that he made, but the influence he had on the industry as a whole that made him crucial. That the
1: difference, yeah. Um, I mean, I kind of fell into that trap of looking at it going, I don't care about
0: Steve Jobs. Well, that's the thing. I, I, I didn't think he was interesting as a person. I thought, it sounds like a bit of an arsehole. Yeah. And the film is sort of saying, well, yeah, he wasn't that mm. nice, but... And then it's exploring the, the, the personality and the fact of his involvement with... The, exp- you know, the, the creation of the home computer. Yeah, yeah. And every innovation, almost in technological terms since then, you can trace back to the Macintosh, perhaps, maybe. I think, yeah, possibly. And I, d- I didn't know the Macintosh was a flop <laughs> because it was really expensive. Mm. <laughs> and famously, it's not compatible with anything. Yeah. And there's a whole thing about how everything Apple makes isn't compatible with anything, which is one of the main problems I have with the company. Yeah. But, there's a, but there's a reason for that. And it's, in business terms, that makes sense. But then you look back at why Steve Jobs wants to do that. And that... I mean, yeah. It's a whole aspect of his character. That, oh, right, so... He was just as flawed as I perceive his products to be. He was, he was just a person. Yeah. And that made it much more interesting and engaging. I think Michael Fassbender should win best actor at the Oscars for it because it's a difficult character to play Mm. because you have to play the the myth against the reality. And he straddles that very well. He's not a likable character, but you understand why he is the way he is, and that if deep down, he's not a bad person.
1: Well no, that's it, I mean he's just he's a label really, isn't he? It's Steve Jobs. Exactly. That could be anybody, yeah.
0: Number two. Um, now, yeah. all the have you been reading this list upside down? <laughs>
1: no, no, no. no. I, I, it's just far enough away that I can't focus on it properly.
0: Uh, I've named all but one of the best picture nominees at the Oscars this year. Okay. And this is the last one. It is the best action film for at least twenty years. It has, as far as I can say, rewritten the rule book for blockbusters um, of how to tell stories visually on this kind of scale. It was deservedly a hit at the box office, like and I think it's going to wind up being the film for which 2015 is remembered, even more so than The Force Awakens. It's the only other film you've seen this <laughs> year. I was, yeah. It's Mad Max Fury Road. Yeah, and it was... It's brilliant. It's, a, um, it's... When the first trailers came out and the captions come up to, uh, during it, and it says, From Mastermind, George Miller. And I thought, that's quite a grandiose play. <laughs> yes. I mean... Babe is mean, yeah, uh, good. Well, created the whole Mad Max series and also a very weird filmography of, well, this of is Babe exactly, yeah, yeah, and yeah, yeah. Happy Feet, but also The Witches of Eastwick and Lorenzo's Oil was that I didn't realise that because he started out as a medical doctor and I thought well this is this is his medical doctor and it's and he modulates his style to fit the content Mm. and it's a very good film and then I watched him and I thought yeah he's earned that yeah because as a as a total vision springing from his mind it is seamless it's it's flawless
1: yeah it
0: It creates this world almost entirely through visuals of how this citadel in the desert and this this post-nuclear landscape, how this functions. We are told it visually in a way that is so clever and so subtle that you would easily miss it. Hmm. Where does that food get from? We see that. It's just not spelled out for us because it has so much respect for its audience. But it also understands you want to see lots of car (laughs) chases. You want to see people fighting with axes, and stuff blowing up because that's exciting and we're going to show that to you in the best way possible because we know what we're doing we know how to edit we know how to shoot we know how to not let a plot get in the way but to have plot happen at the same time because the action is the plot it's a film that is so rich in detail and is so perfectly calibrated on every level it's absolutely astonishing hmm. I saw it twice in the cinema. Uh, the second time I think only about two weeks after the first time because I was going with a friend of mine I was met up with a friend of mine who wants to go to the cinema and I thought well maybe I don't want to see it straight away but she really wants to see Mad Max Furious I want to go and see it again and it was still jaw dropping yeah. it's an astonishing piece of work
1: yeah yeah, it's it really is it's it's you know, it's it's it's, it's I, I can't really add anything to to that to be honest except that I saw it in three d and thought three d was a bit rubbish
0: i have a very strong impression that three d was imposed yeah um most three d films don't need to be in three d yeah. and it's just a gimmick
1: it's one of the few i mean the majority of my films these days i tend to see through stuff like you know streaming or love film or something like that. with the result that I don't buy and own a lot of films on DVD or Blu-ray, this is definitely one that I plan to keep
0: Mm, I can understand why, it's it's a film that is going to reward multiple films because of the richness of its substance, because it's actually about so much more than that, it has so many themes about war and control and gender relationships as well there is so much going on there and it's really exciting. Yes. And it's really well made. And it's really well acted. And it looks fantastic. The design of the immortal Joe, the villain, mm. looks amazing. No one would think of that. And yet, this incredibly vital, energetic action movie has been made by a man who's 70 years old.
1: Yeah, yeah, it's astonishing. It's like the grumpy old man coming in and going, I'll you kids. Yeah,
0: and, and I felt the same way about uh, Wolf of Wall Street. Oh, Which, again, it's, you no know, how old is Martin Scorsese now? Yeah. 72, 3, maybe? Something like And Wolf of Wall Street is so energetic and propulsive and, again, incredibly rich and detailed and full of subtext and thought whilst also being really engaging and really funny and forcing the audience to think, to say are all these hilarious antics these appalling people are doing should we find this funny should we be engaging with it in the way that we think we should mm. and it's three hours long and it flies by and it's made by someone who's twice as old as someone like Zack Snyder who can't make a film that leg the same his life yeah more old people yes definitely bring back John Carpenter oh yes yeah that would be good he's doing a show in oh, London yeah. later this year and he's got a new album out I'm really hoping someone buys
1: the tickets for that show. It's
0: worth a try. Which which date do you think he's performing on?
1: Uh, OK, you I'm going to go for this. Halloween. Of course it
0: is. Which, annoyingly, is a Monday.
1: <laughs> <laughs> right, well, now you have to go... By the strict rules you've imposed, you now have to go back to the worst film. But yeah. then it means you get
0: to finish on the best film. The worst film of the year. Now... It's something that I found ethically repulsive, morally bankrupt, and politically extremely questionable. It was a big hit at the box office, more so than Mad Max Free Road. I was very disappointed to discover. There was talk this week that there's going to be a sequel. In fact, I was surprised that there hadn't been talk already that there was going to be a sequel and an actress whom I have enormous respect for has been announced as likely playing the villain, which I was very surprised by because I thought that this was a long way beneath her. It was based on a comic book by Mark Millar, who is a psychopath. It's directed by Matthew Vaughan, who, judging by this film and his comments regarding how there shouldn't be public funding for the British film industry and that it should stand for whether or not it's commercial, He also appears to be a psychopath. (laughs) The film is Kingsman: The Secret Service, and after I left the cinema, I wanted to be sick.
1: Yes, uh, it's a not one I've seen. The response to it (laughs) from from me, from you, but from other, I I have the people that the people that have disliked it have disliked it for for what I suspect would be the reasons why I would dislike it as well. It just, but at the same time. It Obviously, it hit a chord with... Creeps. Creeps,
0: yes. <laughs> I am very... Anyone who says they like this movie, I would really be on the back foot when I met them because uh, it a... takes such pleasure in violence. I mean, Mad Max is a very violent movie, but it's no, it doesn't revel in it. Yeah. It revels in action and incident and excitement, but not the pure pleasure you get from cleaving a man's head in two of plunging a knife into someone's chest doesn't that feel
1: good but could it be I remember watching Robocop when it came out and it was a terrific hit with me and my group of friends because we'd sit there and go and the guy would fall into the vat of toxic waste and is it just Robocop for a new generation
0: well it might be perceived that way some people might be watching it that way and thinking that it's, it's like that, but I just, it just feels more insidious right. to me. The, the celebration of violence. I mean, the scene at the end of the movie where the only real female character who's shown any degree of backbone essentially becomes a reward and sexual receptacle mm. for the lead character is really gross. Yeah. And I've never seen anyone able to defend it.
1: I don't think even the writer or something? I seem to remember there were questions about it at the time. Yeah. And I seem to remember that, yeah.
0: Um, and on, on the, the political level, it's about how we should entrust our safety to a self-appointed elite, um, which <laughs> rubbed me up the wrong way Yes. a lot. It's a very... It's, I, mean, it's a, I mean, particularly now with sort of changes in the political landscape, it really feels like it's suddenly become very out of step.
1: Yeah.
0: It's not going to date well, and I think in a couple of years, particularly if the sequel goes ahead, there's going to be a big backlash to it if, they, if it doesn't change direction. I mean, Mark Millar, who wrote the comic book and who wrote Kick Ass, who's written a number of other comic books, right. appears to be a massive weirdo. Um, Matthew Vaughan has generally been okay in his other films I mean not the greatest director but not that bad but here it's just repulsive it's really really horrible and it's one of the worst films I've seen in a very long time Blimey <laughs> yeah okay. the best film of the year I and mean, we need to hurry up because I'm running out of time yes um, yeah I saw it at the beginning of the year it was number one then it held off all comers across the, across the whole of the year. It's not something that's been in many top ten lists. I watched it again last night on Blu-ray just to make absolutely sure it was as good as that first viewing. And it was. It follows. Okay. A very simple premise for a horror movie. A young woman after sleeping with a uh, young man is on the recipient of a curse that a creature that looks like a person, that could look like anybody, will follow her. Say it looks, it could look like anybody, but only she and other people who have had this curse can see it. And it only ever moves at walking pace, and there's only one of it. But when it catches her... Game over. It came over. It's a brilliantly made film the level of detail in the production is astonishing and it's a very carefully calibrated sense of timelessness that the set design and the, the production design mixes the recent past with the present with one character has a um, an e-reader that's like a clamshell shape oh, yeah. and obviously that doesn't exist yeah. so it's past and present and it's filmed on location in Detroit which has been mm. bankrupt for several years so there's derelict buildings and there's boarded up houses and this feeling of decay the whole film like feels like it's a, a cross between Dave, John Carpenter and John Hughes with this this evil spectre on the borderline of childhood and adulthood. And again, it goes into gender relationships with this lead character being cursed by men, yes. in a sense. And it feels like an ongoing threat. And there's a scene where she, to buy herself time, she... Is implied to pass on the curse by swimming out to a lake where three guys are on a speedboat. And what happens is left to the audience to fill in. The whole film just feels like this terrible dream. But we we know what's happened. We know what she has had to do just to stay alive. It's a perfect film.
1: Okay. It's not the one I was expecting. I don't know why, what. Do you think I, I, was I, I was. I'm not sure, but I was kind of expecting something a bit more bigger or a bit more, because I got the impression that it follows was kind of quite well regarded by people who like horror films, but didn't didn't really massively embed itself in the public consciousness it's again I think ba- this and Babadook were two films that I was planning to see I've now managed to take Babadook off my list but... I still haven't seen the Babadook oh, <laughs> but, and, and the other way around I, I haven't seen it follows but yeah I mean I'm certainly intrigued by it and it sounds like a good solid idea for a horror film
0: it's perfect hmm. um, well that brings us up to the present day I've seen one film so far for 2016 and that was the remake of Dad's Army, oh, which I quite enjoyed. <laughs> OK. But uh, I suppose I'll see you again in a year. <laughs> and we can talk about how awful um, Batman vs <laughs> Superman was, because we oh, expect that to be yeah. awful. <laughs> I don't think
1: anyone's holding a candle for Batman vs... Versus... Well,
0: well, Zack Snyder is, but he's terrible. Yeah, yeah, what does he know? Thanks to Chris Arnsby for making the time to be on this podcast and for tolerating me talking at him for nearly an hour and a half. Cinema Limbo is now on iTunes, with a dozen episodes available, so please subscribe, download and review, and don't forget to tell your most discerning friends. We're also on Twitter, where you can contact us at cinema underscore limbo, with ideas for future episodes or comments on past ones, or any personal messages from me, you can send to at j underscore j underscore phillips, with two l's. However, until next time, remember, you can't run forever. Goodbye, goodbye, goodbye goodbye, goodbye. You have been listening to Cinema Limbo hosted and produced by Jeremy Phillips edited by Martin Fenton with music by Philip Alderman Cinema Limbo is part of the Podnose Podcast Network. Come and visit us at www.podnose.com.